Many of us live in urban landscapes. We hear stories about small towns, the middle of nowhere, and deep woods all the time. But what about more urban environments? Places where the concrete roams more than the trees. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true urban horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Now, without further ado, be sure to hit that like button and subscribe if you're new and get ready for some creepy and allegedly true urban horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Hello, Swamp Dweller. I have been listening to your stories lately, and it's brought back some memories from about five or six years ago. For some context, I live in a very large and urban Texas city. My neighborhood, however, had a big problem with coyotes. Every night at around 4am, my uncle would get home from work and come across this one large coyote lurking in our front yard. Now, my whole family dismissed this as just a coyote enjoying our garden, but I believe that it could have been something else, and here's why. It began in the summer after I finished 6th grade. As a teenager, I had nothing to do, so I would stay up very late texting friends or playing something. One night, I was doing so when I heard tapping on my window. It was around 1am, and since my window was on the side of the house... There was no way it could have been my uncle. Plus, it was way too early for him to be coming back home. I looked out the window after it happened, but there was nothing there. On the next night, at around the same time, I heard the tapping again. This time, it was followed by whistling. It was like they were trying to whistle that twinkle twinkle little star song, but it was all wrong. It was out of rhythm. Their voice kept breaking. I was frozen because I had never experienced anything like this at this hour. That morning during my breakfast, my uncle told us he saw a coyote lurking around the yard and to be careful whenever we go out. I thought the whistling would come back the next day, but to my astonishment, it did not. I did not tell my family about it because, let's face it, who would believe me? if I said somebody was whistling Twinkle Little Star outside of my window. I didn't hear it again until the next summer. At around the same time, an entire year later, the whistling returned. When I first heard it, I thought my mind was playing tricks on me, but it was very clear. Now at this point, my uncle did not work overnight anymore, so he didn't see the coyotes, but my neighbors did. And the morning they told us that they saw a coyote in our front yard at night, the following night, the whistling began. I know I should have recorded it, but I always froze whenever I heard it. Skip forward another year. It was now summer, a summer of staying up late that I would hear whistling outside my window once again. So, to battle this, I would try to fall asleep listening to music. One night as I was drifting off, I heard a horrendous scream. 
Now, I would listen to metal music, but this scream was not in the song. I paused it, and it kept going. It was the loudest, ugliest, most terrifying thing I'd ever heard. It sounded incredibly high-pitched, like an infant, but somehow with developed vocal cords. I didn't sleep much that night, afraid I'd be woken up by the screaming. That morning, I asked around the house if they heard anything, but no one apparently did. I was entirely shocked because it was incredibly loud. Loud enough to go through my closed window. Since it would always happen two nights in a row, I thought it would happen again the next night, but thankfully it didn't. I never heard anything like it again, actually. Fast forward to this year, and I'm regularly listening to Skimwalker stories to help me pass the time at work, and it got me digging into their history. Now, I personally didn't see anything other than coyotes, but the way whistling and shape-shifting seem to be common signs of skimwalkers has me thinking, could this have been something malevolent or just a creep tormenting me at night? No one has seen any coyotes ever since that night that I heard the screaming, though, which is something else that I've also found very peculiar. Hello Swamp Dweller, my name is Peter. I am 27 years old and I have been listening to your channel for quite some time now. I was listening to your stuff on Spotify and was reminded of an experience I had at the age of 19 years old. It was Halloween of 2013. Huh, the poetry of it. Anyway, I lived in southeast Montana and it was my freshman year of college and we were out due to a pipe burst. Like I said, the poetry of it all. I received a message in my friend's group chat. It was a good friend of mine who, for discretional purposes, I will call L. Myself, A, D, M, and G, who was my girlfriend at the time, were invited to go drive around in his new truck. We met in the junior parking lot of the high school that bordered our neighborhood. We gave a homeless guy enough money to buy an ungodly amount of beer. We talked about numerous things, and among them was the subject of tonight's gathering. We came to the conclusion that being that it was Halloween, in the spirit of the occasion, we had to do something spooky, which in all honesty, would probably end up having us break into a poorly maintained abandoned building or getting drunk off our asses in a graveyard. There were more than a few suggestions about what we would do, but my less reckless idea was initially driving the abandoned Highway 87 off of Elkshire Drive. After about an hour of preparing for a three-hour ride, we set off around 5.30. We gossiped about neighborhood drama and exchanged relevant family situations and talked about crushes, grades, rumors, and what have you. At one point, I believe we even played Truth or Dare, but that's irrelevant. The first thing that struck me as odd was that the road that led to our destination was dead. Not a soul to be found, in a vehicle or otherwise, seemingly for miles in every direction. Now bear in mind that we didn't know a damn thing about this road, aside from that it was abandoned and poorly maintained. We knew it was abandoned and could be the subject of urban exploration. I pity the poor fools who may have tried their hand at urban exploration in that area before us or after us. We finally got to the exit that was fenced off with roadblocks that led to the highway. They seemed old themselves. Since I coined the idea, I was condemned to get out and move the roadblocks to open the gate. 
the moment I stepped out, I felt an insatiable feeling of dread and angst. The kind that a soldier would feel knowing that he was marching into his demise into an unseen danger. I felt like there was something ancient held behind this gate. I felt its presence, and though it didn't seem to be immediately near us, I got the strange sense that I knew it was approaching, entering its domain. I know it sounds juvenile, but it's true. I walked backward back to the truck, ensuring I never took my eyes off the road. When I got back to the car, everyone looked at me with blank faces and distress hidden underneath their facade of calmness. L asked me if I was sure I wanted to do this, as I'm sure he figured out I felt something and perhaps even felt it himself. I said yes in a fake, calm, collected tone and we drove on. We drank a ton. The intensity, it, it permeated the air beyond that point. A quick reminder not to drink and drive, or you may cause yourself and others some serious problems and nobody wants that. We were just stupid, quote-unquote daring teens back then, but that doesn't justify it at all. Just don't do it. I digress. I don't know where we were going. I think we were just waiting to see some creepy crackhead or ghost car out of the middle of nowhere so that we would have a story to tell. But you have to be careful what you wish for, lest your wishes be granted. And probably you won't want that, even if you think you do. It's hard for me to tell you exactly how long we had been driving for. Being pretty intoxicated made it kind of hard to tell what time it really was, but I do know it was around 10 p.m. The road was set up in such a way that there was a slope separating the two lanes and we were on the lower of the two. Below us, maybe six to eight feet tall, was another slope that just led into miles and miles of dense, unchecked Montana backwoods. I'm not gonna lie. Even while drunk, that forestry below us, especially looking into it, instilled a sense of dread in me. That's when a decently sized rock flew up from the woods at the driver's side window. From the woods abruptly, and let me say that again, from the woods. L abruptly stopped the car and we all instantly sobered up. We looked at each other and we were all pale as sheets. After a long and excruciating silence, M finally said, Guys, please tell me this is the result of drunken hallucinations. But did you guys just see a... I cut him off saying, Rock come flying out of the woods and hit our car? M started mumbling something that I couldn't make out. But I could tell he was terrified. Maybe it was other urban explorers or some stupid kids playing pranks. It, it is Halloween after all, D said. Her voice was shakier than ever. So, what was our brilliant solution to this spooky dilemma? We drank some more and got soused again. Out in the middle of nowhere, we decided probably hundreds of miles from any notable civilizations. At the same time, there was potentially dangerous individuals or animals feet away from us, only separated by a small, albeit steep slope with no service or internet, and we'd also need some time to recover and get sober outside again. So we got out, sat down, and had some food we had packed. We sat there not saying anything, just drinking despite our contrary solution. The last thing I remember that night was that D and M climbed up the slope to the other side of the road to stretch, and we made fun of the two lovebirds for wanting to do it out in the road. I woke up the following day around 5.47 with a hellish hangover. Next to my girlfriend G, and A and L passed out in the two front seats of the truck. I woke everyone up groggily. 
we all unlocked the doors to stretch for a moment to catch our bearings. And then, something got my eyes. The tires. They were all slashed. I instantly started panicking. Oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, I said unevenly, trying to think of a way to fix it. Everyone walked over and saw it, and their eyes went wide. I walked over to the rundown railing, looking onto the canopy of Forest Dream Woods, trying to come up with some sort of fact or term to figure out what, what could have caused this, you know? Oh crap, I muttered. I heard an echo mock me from the canopy. I overlooked it and didn't pay it much attention. L's reaction was angry. It was his truck after all, and A had a similar response to me whereas G was throwing up due to what I figured was a mixture of stress and hangover after effects. I walked over to L and told him this was all his fault. You dumbass, you got us into a world of crap, I yelled. Me? Me? This was your idea from the start. I don't believe that it's my fault that you don't weigh the consequences of stuff like this, you moron. We argued and bantered with many profanities in between each before G interrupted us. Guys, guys, all three of us stopped and looked at her. Where are D and M? She exclaimed. She was correct. They weren't with us. We hastily climbed the slope to see at a higher level. They had gone the night before in this direction. There was nothing. There was nobody. I couldn't even tell anyone had been there. We all started yelling their names. We hopped back down to the original level, continuing to call out for them. Then it hit me. I stopped talking and hushed the others. Why was there an echo? It made zero sense. The natural structure of the canopy and wilderness did not correlate with auditory recircling. It seemed to only come from underneath my level like it was following me. I thought about it for a moment. The slashed tires... They weren't the shape of a knife or a blade or whatever else, they were shaped like four sharp fingers had sunken into them. D and M had disappeared without a trace, and there was an odd and illogical echo from the dense forest of which, mind you, we could not see into. Everything put together. The rock that was thrown at us. The dread we felt when opening the gate. Hell, even the vacancy of the road. Either there was a once-in-a-lifetime perfect alignment of the stars and this was just insanely inopportune, or there was something inexplicable happening. I accepted it was the latter. Something was wrong. Something was hideously flawed. I could see the cogs clicking into place in everyone else's minds. After a long, intense pause, I said, Oh, hell, and the echo repeated it. Only I was paying attention now. It was indeed an echo, but it was wrong. It was all wrong. It was garbled and inhumanly deep and monotone. I said, Oh hell, to hear it again. Oh hell. The echo repeated back in a grotesque mimicry of me. I slowly turned back to my friends. They knew it. This was wrong. This was all wrong. Oh hell, oh hell, oh hell. I said slowly, backing away from the railing. Oh hell, oh hell, oh hell. The creature, as I concluded this was, indeed a beast, mimicked back. This time, it seemed to move, not stopping, but continuing to repeat oh hell. It was perverse and a demonic tone. It was moving to my right. I looked over to my right and saw something that could have possibly been the end of me if I had not noticed it. The railing about 20 feet to my right had collapsed, leaving an opportunity to fall 
or what I was more worried about, climb up with relative ease. I screamed at the top of my lungs for everyone to run, and we all booked it the opposite way. I swear I could hear it calmly but loudly echo back in its chillingly otherworldly and malicious mannerism. As it repeated me again, it made it up to our level. As it turned out, our bout of terrible luck seemed to have ended, and as luck would have it, as we ran the other way we saw a black beater pickup truck slowly approaching us. About 50 feet away from us, this guy was definitely shady as hell, and under any normal circumstances we would have avoided it at all cost. But this was far from normal circumstance. The other three hopped in the truck's bed and I got in the passenger side, where it was plain to see this guy was a meth head. Let me tell you, I've never been so glad to see a meth head in my entire life, and I never thought I would be either. We got out of there. Eventually, when we got back to the safety of, you know, civilization, we called the police and told them everything, crying hysterically and sobbing. Once we finally got back to our parents, we finally felt safe again. Everybody asked us what happened, and we kind of refused to tell them. The guilt was too much. Statements were taken. Crime scenes were investigated, and reports were filed. No remains of D or M were ever found, although officially they were classified as deceased. I never saw their parents again. I guess the grief overcame them and they never went out after that. But who knows? There is one thing I do know, though. I'll never go back to Highway 87. Hey Swamp folks, sorry to interrupt this episode of Spooky Urban Horror Stories, but today's episode is sponsored by our longtime friends at HelloFresh. For those of you new to HelloFresh, HelloFresh gets you farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh's chefs really know how to diversify the menu with seasonal recipes like salmon, limon, and pasta primavera. Pick your favorites from over 50 different weekly options and skip weeks when you need to. Change your delivery date or update your preferences all in HelloFresh's convenient app. I've been using this service for over two years now, before they even sponsored this channel. And I can tell you, it is a lifesaver. With my workout routine and my work schedule, it gets really hard to eat healthy and cook sometimes. But with these pre-portioned meals, it makes it incredibly easy for me to know what to do from day to day in a quick 20 to 30 minute session of cooking. So, what are you waiting for? Join me and tons of others in the swamp. Go to HelloFresh.com Swamped16 and use code Swamped16 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts. Again, go to HelloFresh.com Swamped16 and use code Swamped16 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts. HelloFresh.com Swamped16. My name is Riley and I am 26 years old and a guy from Milwaukee. I'm about to tell this story and it is entirely true. It took place about three years ago. Here's a bit of background information. It was late summer, probably early September, and a group of my friends and I decided we wanted to go on an urban exploration. We had often done this in some more rundown areas of Milwaukee, usually in the northern side. It was pretty risky because of the area's history of drugs, gang violence, and settlers. 
However, we were always cautious in these situations and had pretty good luck with never running into crazy people. You could say we were just fascinated by what was inside of the buildings itself, and it gave us a bit of a rush. The night we left, there was a small group of us going, five in total. It was my friends, Jamie, Kevin, Vin, and Ty. We all were suburban white kids except for Vin, who was half Asian, and Ty, who was black. We were all relatively the same age, except Ty, who was 29, and had gone to the same high school in the suburb of Bayside where we had lived. My friend Jamie was the only girl going and happened to be the one who would drive us there because she had a large SUV that could fit us all. She also happened to be Kevin's girlfriend at the time. We drive to North Milwaukee, past some terrible neighborhoods and many rundown buildings. The location we were going to was an old elementary school that had shut down back in the late 90s. We had learned about it through an urban explorer group on Facebook and managed to get in contact with a guy who had been there twice. He told me the building was quite large and had three floors and a basement floor that was destroyed due to flooding and exposure. He said it still had a stage down there where the little kids would perform in plays and musicals. I remember him telling me that he found some old costumes the kids used to perform in, but he also warned me that there was a lot of black mold and asbestos. Nonetheless, we parked in a large parking lot behind the school that at one point was a busy plaza, but was virtually empty now, and was highly cracked and had weeds growing all across it. We approached the back fence that separated the school playground and the lot. Most of the playground equipment was broken, rusted, or missing. We all walked together to a small opening in the fence by the swing set that would just allow you to get through if you were careful enough. Kevin stood at 6'5 and weighed about 230 pounds, so he knew he couldn't get through. It didn't matter though because we did need one person to wait by the car so it wasn't broken into and to keep an eye out for any cops or any weirdos who came in after us. However, Jamie chickened out due to the weather and wanted to wait with Kevin, so we let her. Ty, Vin, and I got through the fence and made our way across the playground towards the school's back doors. Along the way, I noticed a no trespassing sign a few feet away from the fence, but quickly pushed it out of my mind. There was a chain on the double doors that kept people from entering the school, but it looked like someone had cut it a long time ago, and I kicked it off to the side, where it laid coiled up and rusted. Now, I'm going to talk about the weather that night because it adds a lot to the story. It was in the high 80s, but it felt much higher due to the humidity. In the distance, I remember there were large storm clouds, so I knew we had to hurry with the exploration. Vin had brought a camera with him and Ty was recording with his cell phone and had a flashlight app open. We never ended up not needing the flashlight because obviously it was dark, but there was a little bit of light trickling in so we could see just enough, from the broken ceiling and broken windows. As we entered, the door opened with almost no noise, which was strange. But the floor was covered with pieces of damaged roof, paint chips, trash, and dust. The air smelled very wet and musty. The temperature inside felt much hotter and more humid. But we just wiped our foreheads and held our water bottles in our hands. We looked around the floor, which was the ground floor, for about 15 minutes before we decided to move to the second floor. Ty suggested the basement, but the Facebook guy's description of the staircase condition changed all of our minds. Vin led the way, followed by Ty and me at the rear. 
The stairs were covered in debris, so our steps made deafening crunches up the staircase. Keep this in mind. We had gone on these explorations many times and have never run into anyone except a very nice homeless woman and her dog many years ago who told us to stay away from heroin. You could say we were overconfident and had our guard down. We reached the second floor, which had more classrooms than the bottom floor. Most of the rooms were trashed entirely due to the weather or vandals coming in. The desk lay all over the bed, either broken or knocked over. Most of the windows were boarded up or broken, and graffiti covered most of every inch of the building that we had seen. However, some rooms were spared and looked as if students who once sat in them had just vanished into thin air, while nature slowly took over the building. Many of the desks still had supplies in them, and the coat hooks still had coats on them. The chalkboard still had things written on it. Ty even found a desk plate with a teacher's name on it that read Mrs. Johnson. After we wiped away the dust, it eventually became clear that people just kind of abandoned this place. I found a folder on one of the desks that belonged to a kid named Kiana. I gathered that she was a girl in fourth grade. It even saw a date on her old assignments that indicated it was from February of 1999. Many of the rooms in better shape had things like this, so we eventually got bored and decided it was time to move on. As we approached the staircase to the third floor, I had a strange feeling in the pit of my stomach. You know, the kind of feeling you get when you think someone is about to jump out and scare you at any minute. I told Ty and Vin about it, and Ty told me not to be a wimp and keep on moving because he was starting to hear thunder in the distance. I noticed that it was starting to get more relaxed in the building and it was much easier to breathe as we came up to the third floor. It was here where we had run into a strange and frightening situation. I noticed that the school's third floor was different from the other floors. The floor had much more trash on it. The trash appeared to be pretty recent though. Many old pieces of furniture were put in the back part of the first hallway. Then, Ty said something that gave me a good cold chill up my spine. I couldn't tell you why. He noticed that the floor was not nearly as dusty and had fresher footprints than any we had seen earlier. We walked for a few more minutes and I could tell that we were very nervous about running into somebody. Just before we reached a hallway with many classrooms, I decided to text Kevin to see if there was any strange activity outside. He replied within 10 seconds and said that it looked normal, but it could rain at any second. I told him to stay focused and message me if anything odd happened. We looked through many of the old rooms and found nothing but trash, old furniture, and rubble. One of the rooms Vin had walked into had half of its floor caved in. He was lucky that he saw it when he did. A few minutes went by and Ty said, Dude, check this out. Vin and I walked over to him and saw a bag full of old used syringes. The needles looked very old and the plastic Ziploc bag was torn and tattered. I told him to drop the bag before he got hepatitis or AIDS. We chuckled and continued to walk down the hall toward the furniture pile. We noticed that behind this pile was a staircase wholly filled with old shelves, chairs, and tables. To our right was a large room that was relatively clear but had mattresses scattered about. There were a lot of cigarette butts lying on the floor and an old rusted oil drum was in the middle of the room. Vin said that the space used to be a library because of a small plaque he had seen above the doorway. It made sense to see why there were so many shelves piled up right outside the door. 
As we got closer to the far end of the room, we examined the mattresses. There were about five of them, and they were all filthy and torn up. Some had disgusting-looking stains on them and horrible body odor smells to them. Vin noticed a small stack of pornographic magazines by the bed on the farthest side of the room. We all got a good chuckle out of it. The room had two large windows parallel to each other, but they were boarded up and allowed almost no light into the room. As we got to the back of the room, we heard the sound of music being played. All of us froze in unison as the door swung open. There was a man at the entrance of the door. His face told us that he was not happy we were there. He was of average height and had a shaved head and short scruffy beard. He wore a faded brown shirt and some old white basketball shorts. His shoes were white at some point, but now they were stained brown. He was a white man, but his whole body was covered in a thicker layer of dirt. I'll never forget his eyes. They were very pale blue and looked like the eyes of a wolf. However, I noticed the man behind him, who gave me chills at the same time. This man never once stood up and sat on a lawn chair with his left shoulder pointing towards us. He turned his head and looked at us. The man had bright pink hair, tied in a ponytail, and appeared to have no teeth at all. He looked very skinny, and his skin looked tight and pale. His eyeballs bulged slightly and gave him even more of a frightening appearance. He wore a white t-shirt and black shorts. This man never said a word to us. The man at the door spoke in a very rough and direct voice. He asked us what we were doing in the building, and if we were cops. Ty answered him that we were filming a documentary of the old historical buildings in the area and we had no intentions of bothering anyone. The man appeared to relax more and asked us how long we wanted to stay. I jumped in and told him that we were almost done and that we were about to head out before the weather got bad. The man lit a cigarette and asked us if we wanted one, but we all declined. He then offered to give us a tour of the building, but we quickly said no. The man's demeanor changed again as a dark and angry look fell on his face almost as if we offended him by refusing the tour. He eventually chuckled and said okay. He introduced himself as Walter and said the pink-haired man was Ronnie. To our surprise, the man cupped his hands as he hollered out quite loudly for someone named Marty. There was no reply, and the bald man said he must have gone to somewhere else. As we talked for a few more minutes, I took out my cell phone and saw that Kevin sent me several messages. The message said that a man had walked into the building about a minute ago and that we needed to get the hell out of there as soon as possible. The man asked us how many of us there were altogether. I lied and said there were seven of us, because at this point I was feeling very, very uncomfortable. There was just something off about this guy. I was ready to crap myself. The feeling in my stomach was coming back. Something told me that they were very dangerous. Vin and Ty felt the same way and had edgy looks. The radio continued to play, but Walter ordered Marty to turn off the damn radio and that it was giving him a migraine. As he did, two things entered my head. He said the pink-haired guy was Ronnie, not Marty, and that as Ronnie or Marty or whoever the heck reached for the radio, I noticed a bungee cord wrapped around his arm and a syringe in it. I don't think Walter saw any of the things I was picking up on, but another man entered the room before anything could happen. This guy was by far the weirdest and most unsettling of the group. He was pretty short and had medium-length, Bieber-style dark hair. His clothes looked so much newer, but by far too big for him. He had a blue Milwaukee Brewers t-shirt tucked into his oversized red sweatpants. His face looked sharp and leathery, but he appeared to have a skin condition. 
His eyes were a beady black color and wide open. Parts of his face were very bright pink and had many bumps on the lower corner of his bottom lip. He spoke in a more high-pitched rural accent. He spoke in a high-pitched more rural accent. The other two men remained where they had been. Walter is in the doorway and Marty and Ronnie in their chairs. The new man said his name was George and that he was very interested in Vin's camera. He asked what kind it was, where Vin got it, how much it cost, and why he had it. Vin went on to explain that his hobby was filming videos and that he would often photograph at weddings and other events. This was all true and the man immediately perked up and smiled. The kind of smile that gives you an uneasy feeling in your gut. The best way to describe it would be how the Grinch smiled in the old animated movie. As creepy as this was, this is when things really started to get bad. He asked Vin if he ever recorded any little girl's beauty pageants or stuff like that. Vin told him no and the man genuinely looked disappointed. He went on to say some more creepy stuff about how hot the girls were on those pageants and how he would die to be alone with one of them. Our faces told the story of how we felt about hearing this, but the man seemed oblivious. He asked us all if we had any kids of our own. Ty slipped up and told him that he had two twin girls who were two years old. The man giggled in a very creepy and cringy way. He then asked Ty if he had ever left the girls alone by themselves or if he had a babysitter. Ty told him that he and his fiance watched the kids most of the time and would occasionally have his aunt babysit them if they could not. This guy continued to ask creepy questions, like if there were any pictures of the girls. For whatever reason, Ty showed him a few on his phone, and the man asked an odd question. He wondered if he would be allowed to date this guy's daughter. And I'm sure Ty wanted to drop this creep by this point, but he also knew that the other two were behind us, so we didn't know if they had guns or knives or what. Instead, he just said that he would have to get to know him more. The man giggled again and said that he would get to know him when he babysat them. The tone of his voice still sends chills down my spine. It was told in such a slow, seductive way that it just left that there was no doubt that this guy was indeed a creep. I saw Ty's brow drop when he was getting pretty upset at this point. I took my phone out and texted Kevin to honk his horn many times. The creepy weirdo stepped toward me and asked me who I was messaging as I did this. He was close enough for me to smell his bourbon breath. I leaned back slightly and told him that we needed to leave soon before bad weather. Walter spoke again and said that we might as well stay since the storm was beginning at any moment, and he didn't want us to get wet. Vin explained that we had two friends waiting for us outside. Just as he said that, we could hear a car horn blaring. Both the creep and the bald man showed no reaction to what happened and insisted we stay and invite our friends in. We all stood there and explained that we have to leave, and eventually they agreed. Nonetheless, George insisted he walk us out, and so we walked and got to the ground floor. As we crossed the floor, we could hear his creepy muttering, and I don't even know, every so often he would giggle to himself. We stepped outside. The weather was much more relaxed. The air smelled of ozone, and there was a static feeling in the air as tiny droplets of rain hit my face. George walked us over to the area of the fence we had entered. Ty slipped out first, followed quickly by Vin. They both tumbled down the steep hill and waited for me to go. As I tried to get through the fence, George pushed it against my chest. I was on edge but still caught me off guard. I gasped and leaned in close. 
The smell of bourbon made my head slightly turn. I'll never forget what he said to me in a rapid burst. I know you know what I am. It doesn't matter, because I like it. You're lucky that that fine girl in that car was with that fat man or I would have, oh, I would have done whatever I wanted to her. He said whatever. He said it much slower, seductively, and emphasized like he had, like he had dreamt about this. He licked his lips slowly at the end of the sentence. His beady eyes widened, and he let go of the fence. I quickly slipped through and tumbled down to the concrete. I was wondering, but I looked up to the creepy psycho. Ty, Vin, Kevin, and Jamie were all there to help me. They all looked at me and looked at this man in shock. Ty hurled an insult at him. George slowly rose up and looked at Ty through the fence. He put his tongue on the chain link border and made a licking motion. He winked, giggled, flashed his grinch smile, and said his last words to us, for your girls, and gave a clear point to Ty. It took everything we had to keep Ty from going after him, but eventually, we lost sight of George, and Ty calmed down. We sat in the car for a while as the adrenaline rush dumped and left us feeling exhausted. We told Kevin and Jamie everything we had seen, heard, and felt. In the car, we decided to make this our last urban exploration ever. We all agreed unanimously that this was too close of a call. As I sat in the car, I kept thinking about each of the men we had seen. Who exactly were they? They were addicts of some kind, sure, but something seemed off about them. The pink-haired man said nothing and was like a ghost. The bald man said little, but his wolf eyes spoke so much, and the creepy man couldn't stop talking. I would later try to find these men on a jail mugshot website. I could never find them until Vin sent me a link to a sex offender registry website a few weeks ago. My heart nearly stopped. Pictured was the guy who said his name was George. He looked much younger and his hair was shorter, but it was undeniably him. He even had the same creepy smile in the photo. However, his real name was Charles Earl Daly. He was a wanted sex offender from Arkansas who was considered a very high-risk offender and possibly armed. His crimes included many assaults on minors under 12 years old, and many other things across that uh, type of thing, if you know what I mean. I knew how lucky I was to survive an encounter with this guy, and if I only knew who he was at the moment, I probably would have tried to end him. It still sends a shiver down my spine to think that we were in danger. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true urban horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please give this a 5-star rating over there as it helps me out a ton there. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new upload as I upload them nearly every single day and all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. In the comments down below, I would love to know what story tonight was your favorite. Letting me know in the comments really helps me pick better stories for the future, and I really appreciate it. 
If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium but would still like to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and just about anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of all that, maybe check out our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I also stream on Twitch multiple times a week. If you're a fan of horror games and seeing me get scared and just all around good times, join me over on Twitch. You can find a link in the description. Don't forget to check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts, hoodies, and more. And I'll see you soon with another creepy episode.